0: We're going to do a little fighting, we're going to do a little regulating, and we're going to finish up prospects on Fantasy Baseball today, here on Friday. I'm Chris Towers, here with Heath Cummings and Scott White. Fellas, how's it going?
1: So good. Just the best.
0: Exchange some pleasantries before you start arguing with each other.
1: I don't really have any reason to argue with Scott White. I thought you were going to say I don't have anything nice to say. Well, notice
2: I didn't say anything nice. Okay, fair enough.
0: So let's 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 jump right in after the pleasantries. You got that was so pleasant. Thank you guys for playing along. We're gonna do some rankings disputes. Heath, you finished your rankings. Oh, they were done. They were done yesterday. Scott, you finished your rankings. They are done. They're gonna and be ready to publish. They're gonna be on CBSSports.com/slash/fantasy/slash/baseball beginning Monday. We're gonna be launching our fantasy f- baseball draft prep guide next week. Uh, sleepers
2: breakouts and busts from Scott are coming. Uh, It's happening. It's going to be It's happening. In the words of Maya Rudolph, it's happening.
0: And sleepers and breakouts and busts are going to come from Heath, too, just in a slightly different format. Yes. So that's interesting. That's exciting.
1: Weird, me taking something that's traditional and normal that everyone else does and doing it in a different way.
0: That's what you do. Uh, Speaking of which, let's get into these rankings disputes. Starting off, you guys cannot. We'll do one for head-to-head, one for Roto. Heath, you have Trevor Story 32nd. Scott, you have him 20th. I'm going to give hmm. you, let's say, 30 seconds to defend your position on why Trevor Story should be a third-round pick and why everyone's going to be overdrafting him this year.
1: Everyone's going to overdraft him. He's terrible. He's not actually... No, Trevor Story's very good. He is better in Roto than he is in head-to-head. For sure. For sure. He is still, even though his strikeout rate went down last year, he's still going to strike out a ton. And I wouldn't be surprised if that strikeout rate inches back up just a little bit. And he's just right on the borderline of being a second round pick with as many strikeouts as he's going to have. I do think there's a little bit of concern as well that maybe the power numbers come back down just a tad. Maybe somewhere in the low 30s for home runs, more of a 27, 28, there we go.
0: I think that's a reasonable a reasonable case to be made. Scott, you've got Trevor Story in the middle of the second round. Yeah. This is a guy who was going, what, 120th last year probably?
2: Yes, but so. he became a different player last year for a couple of different reasons. He cut way down on his strikeouts and suddenly emerged as a base stealer. If you don't believe either of those can continue, I can understand why you'd rank him lower, but I don't see anything in the batted ball profile uh, that really raises alarm. I, I, think, I think he just became a better player, which, by the way, even in this format, meant he averaged more head-to-head points per game than every first baseman, more than every second baseman, obviously more than every catcher. He, he's really good in this format, too.
0: Well done, guys.
1: You really timed that well. I think the alarm really detracts from the segment. I don't
0: think it does. Okay. I think it lets you know. It needs, it needs know, to be better. It lets you know when you're done. It needs right. to be louder and have You have a different, a different
1: type of alarm, though. Yeah, that that one know. that one really... We need an Air Raid siren. That one goes yeah, off when the, I need to wake up, so it what makes the, me hate you.
0: What the Air Raid siren is on a... Uh, I can't figure out what the Air Raid siren is on the iPhone. I'm going to go ahead and say... Heath... Is more in line with my thoughts on Trevor's story, which means he's right.
1: Just, just to be clear, also a little foreshadowing. Chris does not want to seem like he's favoring either of us, and he knows that he is going to strongly take Scott's position on the next debate. So he chose my side on one where he didn't really care.
0: <laughs> but I also no, I do. I, I, will I'll sum up my argument for why Trevor's story is probably being overdrafted this year with two words: Giancarlo Stanton. He took that big step forward in 2017 with his strikeout rate, cut it from like 29% to 23%. All of a sudden he's the number two hitter in fantasy, stays healthy, becomes a contact hitter, has a monster season because he's putting the ball in play more. Trevor Story didn't just cut his strikeout rate. He also just all of a sudden stole more bases than he ever had in his professional career. So now you're talking about two things that you have to avoid regression with Trevor Story. So,
2: he, he might be the most boomer bust early round player. Because, I mean, if, if he's a 30-30 shortstop... Oh, he's... Yeah, he's a monster. <laughs> that's yeah. What, that's,
0: yeah. But he might hit 220 with 25 home runs
2: and 12 steals. and That seems pretty unlikely. But, I mean, it's, you know, I could see him regressing to like 240, 250. It's what he did basically in twenty seven With like a dozen steals. And, any, yeah, I mean... And that would be obviously not good enough for a second round pick. But... Um, but right. I, I I think you got to weigh the upside there, too. Moving on. Here's a rankings dispute
0: from Roto where you guys really disagree. Now, when you're looking at rankings, you'll see differences of, like, 50 spots, but that's usually when you get into, like, the 100, 120 range. We have a 19-spot difference between where Heath ranks Andrew Benintendi and where Scott ranks him in Roto. Heath has him 12th overall. Scott has him 31st. Scott. I'll let you make the case.
2: I legitimately don't understand. I kind of wish Heath would go first because I don't even (laughs) really know what to argue Classic This is a classic
1: debate tactic. His point's not even valid.
0: Make the case for why you have Andrew Benintendi as a solid pick. Your third, uh, maybe your second hitter, your third player overall. Make Mm -hmm. the case for why he is
2: that. Uh, Because I think that's what he is. He's not a standout at anything. He's above average at everything except for maybe power. And it looked like for, you know, the first half of last season, maybe even the first two-thirds, he he was taking a step forward power-wise. He ended up hitting only two home runs the entire second half. And it's not like, um, uh, you know, it, it's not like you look at the fly ball rate, you look at the hard contact rate and think, oh, well, he should have hit more home runs. I I think 15 to 20 is the, what you should expect. Same for the steals with a solid batting average.
1: He's Andrew Benintendi is an elite, elite, elite contact hitter. 7.6% swinging strike rate each of the last two years. He walks more than 10% of his plate appearances. He's on the best offense in baseball. I expect him to have 200 runs and RBIs combined. I know he didn't have that last year. It was only 190. I think he's got a good chance of hitting 300, and he's just 24 years old. He hasn't grown into his man strength yet. Benintendi's going to hit 20 home runs, steal 20 bases, 100 RBI, 100 runs, a 300 hitter. That's a first-round pick. Okay. I have to bring this up. You have him ahead of Christian Yelich. Who just grew into his man strength and is probably going to regress
2: a little bit from last year. Sure. But he more than doubled Benintendi in home runs while doing basically everything else the same. Not a little he, he, better.
1: I expect Benintendi to be better in four categories than Christian Yelich.
2: And I just, there's so many. I, I look at all the players in between 12 where you have him and 30th where I have Benintendi. Or thirty first, actually, and it's like, so, so that means you must have Benintendi ahead of like Degrom, I assume. Alex all, all Bregman, the aces. Aaron Judge, uh, Aaron Judge, sure. Uh, obviously, Story, Charlie Blackman, Ronald Acuna, yeah,
0: yeah. I, like, I, what kind of upside is I there I don't for Benintendi? S- I don't see the case for Benintendi above now. Alex Bregman, there are there are extenuating circumstances because of the elbow surgery that he just had. We don't know. What he's going to look like? I had Alex
1: Bregman ahead of Benintendi before Why? that injury. I,
0: which four categories do you think he'll outperform Christian Yelichin?
1: Batting average. Why? I don't think we've seen. This is basically what the crux of the argument is. Did my alarm ever go off? By the way.
0: Y- you, yeah it's, okay it's it quick. did but now
1: we're and just I jumped in the, right back in in the okay it was yeah. I don't think we've seen the best of Andrew Benintendi. Okay, I think he ha- he will hit over three hundred this year.
0: What's the? Uh, but what but, is the best? Yeah, but make like is, the case for why he's the he best. Hits 300. The
1: best case is three twenty.
0: But make the case for why he hits three hundred. He hit two ninety last year. He hit like two seventy one the year before. Uh, uh, and he hit three two ninety last well, year with a three twenty. Big
2: difference between two ninety and three hundred.
0: Right? right, right. But um, but he hit
2: two ninety with a three thirty six batting average.
1: He was well over three hundred before this, this late slump, right?
2: I, I mean, my point is, even if he hits three hundred. How is that drastic? Like, he needs a drastic improvement in production to compare to some of the players you're ranking him ahead of. Well,
0: at. just in, in Christian Yelich's case, he's a 297 career hitter with a 359 career Babbitt. Uh, and he plays in a great hitter's park, whereas Andrew Benintendi plays in a pretty, at least for power. For power. I don't, I don't think for a, average. A it's bad a bad hitter's park for left-handed hitter. It's
1: not a bad hitter's park for average for left handers
0: No, it's fine. Right. But. You're still, he needs to either, the strikeout rate's good.
1: Well, I think he's going to hit more home runs. But he, Yeah, but he's probably going to need to hit
0: 10 to 15 more home runs.
1: I don't know that he needs to hit 10 to 15 more home runs. Okay. I think he needs to have a little bit better BABIP than 328. Okay. And I think he needs to hit a few more home runs. Mm-hmm. But to move your batting average 10 points, you don't need to do very much of either of those things.
0: No, you probably need about seven extra hits, I think. Right. Um... But again, Christian Yelich hit 3.26 last year.
1: And Christian Yelich is probably going to have a little bit of regression. We just talked about that.
0: Sure, but he has a career 359
1: Babbitt. And right. then he's not a career 300 though. And then
0: though. L- let's not even talk about that one because they're one spot apart. Charlie Blackman in a down year was 291, uh 100 plus runs, nearly 30 homers, nearly 10 steals and like 70 RBI in a down season.
1: So do you think that 30 home runs and 10 steals, or 20 home runs and 20 steals is better.
0: Um, I think it's probably the 2020. Right. But we've also seen Charlie Blackman. He's one year removed from being the number one player in fantasy.
1: But that year now, looking at the last four, does look like the outlier for Blackman. Um, He was more like 2016 last year, mm -hmm. and he was not quite that good in 2015.
0: No, he was probably better for fantasy in 2015 than he was in
1: 2018. But not in 2017.
0: No. But we're still talking about a guy who's been basically a top 10 hitter for like four four years in a row. Like in the discussion, at least. In the discussion, sure. And he's been the number one hitter. And you have him ahead of a guy who finished 40th last year?
1: I don't know where he finished. Uh, Blackman's also 32. He's probably not getting better. Yeah, Benintendi's 24.
2: Yeah, it's bold.
1: I'm, you got you got to admit it's a bold ranking, right? I never never disputed that. Okay. I, I'm I'm
0: siding with Scott on this one.
1: Well, no one ever doubted that. You've made that clear <laughs> for the last 10 minutes.
0: Uh, it hasn't been 10 minutes. Um, all right. So let's get into rest of the show. Obviously, if you're a baseball fan, you know there's not really a lot of new stuff to talk about uh, right now. So. What we are going to talk about is, hold on, I have to pull it up. It's not coming up.
1: Hurry back, Adam. Can you turn the volume up on your phone?
0: It's it's plenty good. It's so good. Regulators. Let's start with, we're going to go through a couple of Regulator's emails, and this one is, I think Heath's going to enjoy this one, because there's a lot of pettiness involved. Dear Pooh Bear, Piglet, and Eeyore, I've had trouble over the last decade in my league, but I finally turned into a a consistent contender, and I was trash-talking the commissioner the other day uh, about the upcoming season and his team's bleak future. In response to my heckling, the commissioner responds by saying that I will not be allowed to keep Vlad Jr. because our league, quote, does not allow for minor league keepers. (laughs) Needless to say, the commissioner finished in last place arguably tanked at season's end to improve his draft status, and now has the first pick in the draft this year. While it's true that our league does not allow for minor league players to be kept as minor leaguers, quote, in addition to the 12 additional keepers, there has never been an interpretation of the rule that minor leaguers cannot be kept with one of the 10 traditional keeper slots. In fact, last year Ronald Acuna was a keeper of his. Uh, (laughs) Another team kept Michael Kopech. Another team kept McSenzel, uh... Years ago, he kept George Springer and Nick Castellanos when they were minor leagues, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> he has endured nearly 10 years of league mates hoarding players like Mike Trout, Chris Sam, Miguel Cabrera, et cetera. Now that the shoe is on the other foot and he's beaten them all uh, on the next era of studs, they see the writing on the wall. If the commissioner wanted Vlad Jr., he should have drafted him last year. Please tell me you see the hypocrisy in this self-serving misinterpretation of an established league rule and common practice.
1: Your commissioner should be removed from power.
0: I think that I I don't think that's unfair. I'm not a hundred percent sure that's the way I would go, but
2: yeah, I mean this. Yeah, is, he's being a, he's being a crybaby. This is obviously twisting a well-established rule. And I, I, even if it didn't have that precedent, I I would agree that the you know if you don't specify a distinction between minor leaguers and major leaguers when it comes to keepers, then they're all the same. Um, but when you throw in the precedent that's clearly established here, uh, I mean. This is just the commissioner suddenly changing a rule to benefit himself, and it's totally, totally unethical.
0: Uh, can I can I add one more, just incredibly petty note from Mark? P.S. The league mates have made a concerted effort to hold on to my two CBS Sports Championship bobbleheads and not give them to the rightful champion, so I can put them on display as a reminder of my epic d- dynasty of destruction.
2: I I can't help but wonder <laughs> <laughs> if. If there's a little bit of karma happening here, <laughs> like, yes, this is an unethical move by the commissioner. Yes, your league shouldn't withhold the trophy. But why do they all hate you? <laughs> Does it, could it have something to do with the persistent trash-talking?
1: Yeah, That, that doesn't matter. We don't have different rules for trash-talkers.
0: <laughs> all right, the next regulator's email. Will writes in, Hello, Billy, Sebastian, and Raymond. Billy the Marlins, Sebastian the Ibis, and I have no idea what Raymond is. I'm pretty sure these are Miami-era sports mascots. I have no idea what Raymond is. I could be (laughs) wrong on that, too. Uh, Rays here! (laughs) Ha-ha! Is the Rays mascot Raymond? I don't know. Maybe. Oh, that would make sense. Okay. That would make sense. All right. Any keeper added to a team from the waiver wire can be kept for four years. The player's draft value will be round 25 the first year kept and there will be a penalty of five rounds added per year. Will says, some people think the last rule is unfair, especially for someone like him who added Juan Soto from the waiver wire. They think him keeping Soto should be a bigger penalty. What do you suggest for keeping waiver wire ads? We do not auction, but we have a fab for free agents. He added Soto for about a quarter of his fab. So basically, what do you think is the best way of handling these elite uh, waiver wire ad keepers in a league that has a relatively
2: long term uh, keeper system. I, I think it's fair to to. I mean, obviously, nobody had the foresight. Nobody thought they were good enough on draft day to draft. So I don't. I don't. I've never understood why. Uh, okay, if you, um, if if somebody was good enough to draft in the last round and and ended up living up to it, why he should be a cheaper keeper than somebody who. Just came off the waiver wire. Um, if you have Fab, and it, 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 he does have Fab, right? Yeah. Uh, one way you could treat it is relative to the amount of money spent mm-hmm. on the player. I, I don't know if that's what he was suggesting. Yeah, I don't.
1: I don't have baseball keeper leagues that don't have salaries. Right. So that takes care of the problem if you have salaries. If you don't have salaries, I think this is exactly the way you should handle it. It should be a last-round last pick this year. Uh, either
2: that or you'd have to come up with a
1: way to convert dollars like, to draft rank. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, yes, it's benefiting people who pick off good young players off the waiver wire. That I would say... Do that.
0: I, my, my kind of middle ground position would be, okay, you keep him for a 25th-round pick the first year. Maybe you keep him for maybe it jumps to a 10th-round pick the second year. Maybe you, you start... Because once you start looking at like these long-term four-year keepers, it's going to be 25th round, 20th round, 15th round, and then 10th round for a, a guy in Juan Soto who we think... You know, Scott's used the the, the Albert Pujols comparison. Um, you know, this is a guy that we think could be a, an absolute monster in fantasy. And so...
2: That yeah just, it but swings. you should you should have that long term benefit, I feel like because if you go from twenty five to ten i mean it's still Juan Soto has it takes a step back his sophomore season he he may not be worth much more than a tenth round pick next year that that's a very plausible scenario, and I feel like I feel like the more gradual moving him up mirrors the way salaries work in m l. b closer anyway i mean teams call up their best prospects they get them basically for three the for free the first three years and then for very low salary the next two if not the next three years excellent point all right adam writes in regulators we are entering the third year of a three keeper
0: league where draft pick trading is allowed one tr- owner traded the farm last year and just said he wants to, dis- to quit despite finishing third obviously not much you can do to make him stay in the league but how do you suggest pre- preventing this from happening? A few of us have discussed deposits for the next season, limiting draft pick trading, but so far have not come to an agreement on what everyone would be okay with. Do you feel either of those would keep owners in line if they have any feelings about quitting? Or Do you have any other suggestions? I actually I like the idea of deposits for the next year. Absolutely. But anyone who's commissioned a fantasy league knows uh, that it's getting people to pay on time alone is like hurting cats. And yeah. so I,
1: I would, I would say, in, like if this is a serious league and you ha- have had this problem, having this problem right now is going to make this easier to solve because everyone sees what the problem is. And I would just say before the draft each year, you have to have paid for not just that year, but the year in advance. And then after the first time you do that, then you're only paying for one year each time. You're just paying for the year in advance. And then if somebody drops out like this, whoever takes over this trash team, with no good options, gets a free year, but they have to pay for the year in advance.
0: Uh, I actually I, like that.
2: Yeah, I, I just I have a hard time seeing how this is going to become an epidemic. I mean, if you have a fantasy baseball league that's competitive, I assume these people like to play fantasy baseball, not, and I assume they don't have a million options at their disposal. If they if they leave the league, I assume in, in this circumstance, I assume you're not. Inviting them back ever, so they're they're totally burning this bridge, and I just can't imagine that many. It's of not an epidemic to want to do but that. The
1: first time that it happens, if it's especially if it's a like a a significant, not a ton of money, but a significant amount of money, it's going to be difficult to get someone to come in and say, "Pay this money for yeah. this year," and you have no chance of winning.
0: No, yeah, I, I do. I actually, would, like, I like the idea of the the owner who takes over a team that that screwed the rest of the league over doesn't have to pay for their first year. I actually think that's a, pretty, that, that's a pretty reasonable answer.
2: By the way, I play in a league where one of, if not the most famous national baseball writer did this.
0: Wow. <laughs> Putting people... Stacked
2: a team by trading all future assets away, won the league, and said, see you guys.
1: Wow. That is outstanding.
2: Yeah. I'm not going to say who it is, but uh, <laughs> you would definitely know the name.
0: All right, that's it for the Regulator segment. Thanks for your emails. baseball at CBSi.com. If you need your league regulated or if you just want some regular old advice, let's move on to the quote-unquote big news from around baseball the last few days. Um, all right, let's move on to the email. No, uh, Yankees signed Adam Ottavino. Uh, ridiculous bullpen in, uh, in New York now. Um, <laughs> he... Was an incredible middle reliever last year. Was one of those ones who was valuable even if, even if he wasn't getting saves. Um, likely to be the same case here.
2: Yeah, I don't I don't see why not. Um, it takes his name out of the the closer running, obviously, because Yankees have a good enough option there already. They have uh, about five. <laughs> yeah, and actually, I. I Between him and and Cody Allen, it looks like he has a deal in place with the Angels as of last night to become their closer. Uh, So between those two signing, Ottavino and Allen, uh, it it kind of uh, makes Jose Leclerc look more attractive because the Rangers were apparently in on both Ottavino and Allen. So that, I think, is really the biggest news from this, to whatever extent people were doubting Leclerc in late January.
1: You don't have to as much now. So... This is not fantasy baseball related, but the Yankees are now spending like forty-five million dollars on their bullpen.
0: Probably more.
1: Um, because
0: Chapman's like eighteen, twenty million dollars. Yeah, here. Chapman's and nine, and Britain's like seven or eight or nine.
1: Chapman's seventeen, Britman Britain is thirteen, so that's thirty. Ottavino is nine, that's thirty-nine. Butanthas is seven, that's forty-six. Plus all the million-dollar guys. Do you think it's what, what do you think of that? I, I just wonder, like, if you take the $20 million that you're spending on Zach Britton and Adam Adovino and spend 25 on Manny Machado, aren't I mean, you better?
0: This is the thing about the Yankees with their, like, we'll, we'll go off on this tangent for a second. And anybody who's followed me on Twitter, you know what I'm about to say. But this idea that the Yankees have a budget that they could conceivably overrun is stupid. Like, it, it's ridiculous. This team prints money. They're worth, like, $11 billion. There is no world in which the Steinbrenner family is going to go hungry for a night. because go hungry they, is not the because they, It's a business of profit. Because they have... Right, but if they sell the team right now, they're going to make a 4,000% profit on what George spent it. Um, but they're not selling the team. Fine, but they're, not, they're never going right, to lose right. go money. Ahead, go ahead and finish your point. They could sign Manny Machado and Bryce Harper. And not lose money in the 10 years that those guys are under contract. It's ridiculous. Like, there's no, like, oh, they signed this guy instead of that guy, or they're worried. about Like, no.
2: Is the standard to not lose money? Just break even?
0: For who?
2: Well, for, for the owners. I like don't what, how, know how much profit should they be seeking that you say that's an acceptable amount of profit to see.
0: They can seek whatever amount of profit they want, but fans shouldn't defend them maximizing <laughs> their profit margins okay. over fielding the best team possible. Fair enough. What about
1: making a profit over fielding the best team possible, though? Fans shouldn't
0: <laughs> care about Hal Steinbrenner's <laughs> bank account. Uh,
2: uh I, I yeah maybe the Yankees I, I are close know. to Kidding? trading
0: Sonny Gray. As well, which will just really help them get under that set luxury tax line. That's going to be great. Uh, (laughs) Alex Reyes is long tossing. He will be on a mound within one to two weeks. So sounds like he's progressing nicely from that lat uh, surgery. Expecting him to be ready for the start of spring training, if not a little later. Um, One of the big questions in spring training is going to be what his role is. Um, Because there's... We talked about this, I think, in the most recent episode, or maybe the one before that. But there's... A chance he's hugely valuable in multiple roles, or there's a chance that he's not that valuable in in one or two roles.
2: Yeah, if Trevor Story is the most boomer bust early round player, Alex Reyes might be of the entire draft. I'm going through and putting together my first sleepers, breakouts, and busts columns for 2018. Just throw them in all three. 2019. I, well, I I really wanted to include him in breakouts, but it was just like, okay, first of all, it's obvious. Second of all. <laughs> it seems like it's a very high probability fail because he hasn't been able to stay healthy and as hard as he throws, Scott, you know, I, I don't think that it's... it's um, you know what that sounds like to me?
0: What? Sounds like Alex Reyes is a bust.
2: Well, no. I, I don't think for where he's projected to go right now, I'd classify him as a bust. I'm, I may have a lot of shares in him, but it, it's just... Yeah, I mean... He could be
1: – He could be. I, I think he could be an ace as soon as this season. I do. For a month or two? Not necessarily. I, mean, I don't think he throw more than 100 innings. I, it's it's so you hard may to, not, it, but it's it's I don't so know hard the Cardinals
0: won it. He's thrown 140 innings, I think, in a season before. That was like three years ago. <laughs> um, but there are some teams whose philosophy is that once you've done it, you can do it again rather than working gradually back up to it. You know, we saw it with uh, – Zach Wheeler, Zach Wheeler last year sure, but I was thinking on the Cardinals, um, the guy who throws the, the guy who came back from Tommy John surgery, Lance Lynn. Years, Lance Lynn. Now it's obviously Lance Lynn was a free agent. He threw like two hundred innings, like six years in a row or something. Sure, but but it, we're not we're not asking Alex Reyes to throw two hundred innings. If he throws one hundred and fifty innings and pitches like he can, so his that's cr- a top twenty pitcher probably.
1: His career high looks like it's one hundred and nine. Okay, that's
0: basically one forty.
1: And that was, and he has thrown yeah, he about like, twenty five yeah. in the last two years combined. Yep. I don't think he's hitting a career high this year. Uh,
2: it's I don't be, know. Yeah, it may not be one fifty, but one twenty doesn't say, seem far fetched. I'll
0: say there's no chance I'm drafting Alex Reyes, so I'm not sure why I'm defending him.
2: I think <laughs> I'm in the
0: same
1: spot.
2: Okay, um, um, Heath, then even more chance I'll have a lot of shares of Alex Reyes. Then I have, how, Where do you have him at starting pitcher, Heath? Do you? You access that quickly? Oh yeah, head to head? Yeah, that's what I have open. I have them forty second.
1: Oh yeah, I'm not I'm not anywhere close to that. Wow, okay. Um I I got forty seconds seems like the ceiling. Forty seconds seems like taking on very little
2: risk though. I mean, you're passing up Jose Quintana at that point. Like, okay. I have him 72nd.
0: It is worth noting in NFBC drafts um, right now, his ADP is only 176. At that point, you're not taking on any rest, basically. Like, you're he's going in the same range as Jose Quintana and Yusei Kikuchi. What,
1: what, like, give me the plus 200, plus 300, the what that Julio Urias is better than Alex Reyes this year. I, I don't know what those numbers
2: were you mentioned, but <laughs> the odds. Uh, I don't I don't know how to apply those,
1: but two to one would be plus two hundred.
2: Okay. <laughs> that Jose Arias is better than Alex Reyes. I More mean, valuable similar, in fantasy leagues. Similar minus three hundred. So do you think that Reyes right? will be
1: better than him.
0: You think Reyes has a three to one chance of being better than yes. Julio Arias?
1: Yes. Wow. See, I think it's very similar.
0: Yeah, I'd put it pretty close. Alex Reyes was probably a better prospect than Julio Arias, but you have to consider that Julio Arias was considered major league ready at 18 or 19.
2: Um, We've seen him pitch effectively in the majors, at least for stretches. I don't think he has near the strikeout potential Reyes does. I mean, a strikeout per inning, sure, but Reyes looks like a dozen per nine kind of guy.
1: Well, he was at about ten per nine in two thousand sixteen in the seventy seven innings. Who was? Urius. Yeah, and that was fifteen of them were starts. So that was mostly as a starter, and that was in an environment that wasn't a strikeout heavy.
2: It was also, um, you know, with a one point five whip. So you know, if if he pitches well, he
0: was you know, stri- he
1: was he was a literal child.
2: Well, I know, he was but this and he is, gave is up, the Chris gave always th- makes th- about strikeout percentage versus K per nine, and
1: he yeah. gave up a three fifty eight BABIP that year.
2: Yeah. Also walked a lot of guys.
1: Heath, I have some bad news. Eric
0: Scoglin will not be available for the first half of the season for your beloved Kansas City Royals.
1: I, I actually, uh, at the end of December, quit my last AAA Fantasy Baseball League. Okay. So I was not planning on using Scoglin this year anyway.
0: Okay, good. Good. He has been suspended for 80 games uh, to start the season. He was probably going to be their fifth starter. Whoever their fifth starter is is probably not going to matter. Uh, and Wilmer Flores signed with the Diamondbacks. I like Wilmer Flores. I don't think this matters for fantasy.
2: And NL only. Uh, he's going to be their starting second baseman, apparently. That's, okay. That's what their MLB.com beat writer has reported. Uh, so that's, I mean, that's the first time he's had an everyday role. Ever. In, well, maybe, yeah. Yeah, it's been, a long, it's been a long time since he's even been in At least going into a season. Yeah. Um, it's
1: sad because it takes away an NL only steals option. Who? Dyson. Dyson yeah. is going to be the Tom Marte's
0: probably going to start in center field now he's I, one of those guys that we 've been kind of waiting on a breakout. We saw flashes of it last year, but overall he wasn 't that good
2: but if he 's legitimately a full timer wilmer Flores you could hit twenty five homers so, yeah with a very low strikeout rate so in points leagues, I think he i think he has top ten potential at second base um, you know i 'm not going to draft him probably even inside the top twenty well he 's only first base eligible to begin the season but you know, I'm, he's outside my top 300 in that format. But I, I definitely see potential there for him to be a surprise um, contributor. Um, not to get us stuck on this, but getting back to Arias for a second, when do you think he joins the rotation? Because I'm not exactly... Like, they, right now they have Kershaw, Bueller, Ryu, Hill, and Maeda. Uh, I'm sure at some point Koreas will get a chance to start
0: Hill will start off the season with his mechanics out of whack and need to go on the DL to fix them probably like (laughs) mid to late April Um, Hyunjin Ryu will probably blister strain a groin yeah something by uh, like the fourth or fifth week of the season Clayton Kershaw will need some time to rest his back Uh, Walker Bueller will probably get a phantom DL stint at some point
2: I mean, who's to say Ross Stripling isn't going to take these turns over Arias? I mean, they. What I'm getting at is the Cardinals need Reyes a lot more than Arias, and I think Reyes is more proven at the major league level than Arias too. So I, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with my take minus 300. All right, continue the program. All right, we're gonna move
0: on to a couple more emails before we get into more prospects talk, finishing up what we started on Tuesday. First email, at com. if you want to get your email on the show. Nick from Shoreview, Minnesota. Excuse me. Uh, dear Ken, Felipe, and Bobby. That's like the 80s Giants outfield, right?
1: I was thinking those were... Um, aren't those dads or brothers? Felipe uh, was... Yeah, Moises. Bobby... Barry... But Ken, I was actually thinking Ken Brett, and that's not right because he's a brother. The others are dads. Ken Senior. Is there a Ken Brett Senior? Is this a Braves though? Oh, Ken Griffey Senior. Yes, yeah. those are those um, are those are dads. Uh, good. It's good.
0: Of course, the dad gets it. Yeah. Uh, I'm interested to hear what you think about these three infielders based on last year, and who will have a better fantasy baseball season in 2019. Matt Carpenter, coming off a career year. Max Muncy, who broke out, or Anthony Rendon, who was as solid as ever last year? Who do you think will be the best in 2019? And who would you want to prioritize in drafts?
1: Um, I'll take Carpenter, and there seems to be more expectation that he's going to fall back in the consensus rankings than I really have. But at third base, Carpenter is my number four third baseman. Rendon's my number six. Um, I think they're both going to be very good. Muncy could be as good as both of them if I felt more if he didn't play for the Dodgers. Basically, I just am concerned that he ends up sitting for a for a month.
2: Uh, Carpenter would be my least favorite of the three, actually, (laughs) in terms of how likely I am to draft him. Obviously, you have to take him ahead of Muncy, but Rendon is the safe, no worries whatsoever pick who I would take earliest, and Muncy is, I think, the upside pick. In fact, when we do the bold predictions in late March, I think one of my bold predictions is Max Muncy will be the number one fantasy first baseman in 2019.
0: Wow. Which is
2: bold. I mean, it's meant to be bold, but it seems plausible to me. And just for some context in those NFBC
0: drafts that have been going on so far, Anthony Rendon's ADP is 45, Matt Carpenter's is 71.
1: 71? Max Muncy's is 100. Seventy one's ridiculous,
0: and I feel like Anthony Rendon. Like I don't know, I never feel like he goes forty fifth. He's always the guy that like nobody really wants to take, and every year he hits two ninety five, three hundred, and with twenty homers and eighty runs and eighty RBI at least. Yeah, um, there there is he's the guy you you let fall to you
2: in, in roto. Uh, if we are talking about a points leagues, I think you. And I'm not saying people are, but you should be and very enthusiastic about drafting Rendon. I mean, all three of these guys are probably better in points than Roto because they, they walk so much.
0: All right, next email is from Danny from Boston. Uh, guys, he's talking about a, a public projection system. Why do they have Jesus Aguilar hitting 242 next year? Don't see anything in his hard hit, BABIP, et cetera, that shows his average should drop that much. First of all, I think... The main reason is because he has such a limited sample size, um, and because he wasn't this great of a hitter in the minors, you're probably going to see projection systems bake in quite a bit of rege- regression for Jesus Aguilar. Projection systems tend to be pretty conservative when it comes to a guy like him or Max Muncie, or you know, pick your well, favorite th- breakout. And the the other point I would say is. Justin Smoke didn't look like a 240 hitter after 2017. Yonder Alonso's batted ball data looked like he was legitimately breaking out again. Um, Justin Bohr, same thing. It's these out of nowhere breakout guys. You can point to examples of guys who turn into superstars. JD Martinez probably being the best example of the last decade. Most of them. Don't sustain it, even if the hard hit because hard hit, it's a skill, it's a skill based measure, measure more than batting average, let's say. But skill can still fluctuate.
1: And I think if you look at his last four years, last year he hit two seventy four with a very normal BABIP, mm-hmm. and that does, nothing about that looks like well, man, he hit the ball hard. That's that's the year before he hit two sixty five with a three thirty seven BABIP. Yeah, the year before that he was in AAA and hit two forty seven.
0: That was with a 255 Babbitt.
1: And the year before that, he was in AAA and at 267. With a 305 Babbitt, yeah. So I don't... like I'd, 242 seems low, but 250 seems well within the range of possibilities. I'm a little bit concerned about Aguilar falling off the face of the earth.
0: And it started in the second half last year.
2: Um, it, to directly answer this question, there is a formula behind the projection and not a person right i mean yeah the the reason why we don't know the formula, so but the reason why Aguilar's projection spits out what it does is because certain variables are weighed such and such such and such and such and such, and I'm not even sure the person behind the projection system could give you an explanation beyond that. that's just kind of the but it's
0: I, based on but it, it they will be based on historical precedent and what tends to be more predictive right. from one year to the next
1: they they have his. Strikeout out percentage going up 1%. They have his home runs coming down by 6 next year. Both of those things would cause your batting average to come down. They have the Babbitt falling down to 290. That seems He's a borderline...
0: Like I I think he's a borderline skills guy. Um, there's a reason he didn't break out until he was 28 years old. Um, and in the second half last year, full season predict, stats are more predictive than half season, but... He hit two two forty five with like a seven sixty OPS in the second half last year. So I
2: mean, it, one of the variables that may weigh very heavily is is um, you know second half stats. That's I that's would, not uncommon.
1: Coming from this one, I would I would be surprised if that's weighed heavily, but maybe maybe
2: um, yeah. I mean, I am not probably going to have much Aguilar because I feel like he is he is really a just do you believe it or not kind of situation because you could make the case looking at all the things we normally look at um, to project sustainability, uh, that this is exactly who he is. Or you could look at his track record and say, no, he's this other guy. And it's just, we're we're just, I I don't know which of those to trust. I really don't. And it's my job to know, but I don't. You don't have to know everything, Scott. It's fine. You just have to act like you do.
0: (laughs) All right, we're going to talk prospects right after this. And we're back. Let's lead off our prospects segment, finishing off discussion over Scott's Top 100 Prospects piece that went up on CBSports.com earlier this week with a couple of emails. Uh, no name on this one. Hey, guys, I'm in a 14-team head-to-head category league where we can keep players for three years. Uh, as I'm listening to the newest podcast on prospects, here's my question. In a league where prospects aren't available until they make their appearance in MLB, there are a few big-name prospects would you ever trade a draft pick for someone's high waiver slot in order to get Vlad Guerrero, Eloy Jimenez, Fernando Tatis in a league where they are not available in the draft?
2: Okay, so they become available as soon as, as, they're, soon as they're called up. Yeah. So midseason. Okay, so Vladimir Guerrero is not going to be available in all likelihood because we don't expect him up till mid-April. Yeah. What round? The, the round you would want to draft him in so you're saying this guy should probably
0: give up a second or third round pick especially in a keeper league might be a first round pick
2: i mean i don't i don't know that that's where i'd want to draft vladimir guerrero you're gonna have to decide that for yourself um and i guess but i mean if if you're going after the owner who has the number like there's not a chance somebody can after you make that trade somebody can pull the rug out from under you you can only do that yourself by spending that waiver claim on somebody else uh so i i think if you know, obviously, you start at you, you try to lowball the guy to start out and find middle ground from there. Um, but yeah, I would trade a probably as early as as high as a fourth round pick for uh, the presumed rights to Vladimir Guerrero. I, I think in a
0: keeper league, I think those guys might be first round picks.
1: It depends too, know. though. How many players are you keeping? Sure, because if you're keeping like if you keep as many as you want, then a first round pick's not worth very much. Sure, like I don't I don't think I'd give up Flight Guerrero for a first round. pick. Okay, yeah. If you're keeping three players,
0: I think this guy's trying to outsmart his competition.
1: I understand if you, but if you're trying to if you it really depends on the number of yeah, players that are kept. Right. If, if if you want yeah. to keep two players, then it's a completely what is, different equation. What is than the draft 10. pool looking like?
2: Right. after everybody's capped, and and that I, I wasn't even thinking in those terms. So it's that's a good point yeah um that's why i'm thinking you give away a first
0: round pick if someone's willing to give it to you
2: yeah and in that context um yeah i wasn't so sure if you're talking about the starting point of a draft because so many of the first rounders are right around 25 so they have plenty of good years ahead of them too and they're already proven but but yeah i understand i understand how the circumstances change here
0: all right one more from david in a city west of mississippi hey fellas Something I would like some additional color around in regards to the top prospects conversation. Does the past experience with super hyped prospects like Yoan Moncada and Byron Buxton change how you view guys like Vladimir Guerrero and Eloy Jimenez? No. I, I think it just, it's just a reminder I, I that th- there's risk.
1: Yes. And I, it, it's good to keep those remind Like, When you're taking Vlad Guerrero in the second or third round of a redraft league, it's important to remember those names. And he's a better prospect than those guys were. He may be the greatest hitting prospect that I can remember. I I think he is, and
2: part of what that goes into what goes into that calculation to me is how much he makes contact, which is absurd for a modern power hitter. You just him and, and Jimenez would be absurd himself, but Guerrero manages to top even that, and that's really the distinction for me. Is when Buxton and Moncada, the talent was obvious, but the one concern you had, and it was true for Chris Bryan, it was true for George Springer, they happened to overcome it. Um, but Moncada and uh, and Buxton couldn't over, um, overcome the contact issue. That's been the main thing holding them back, and that's not an issue for Guerrero and, Guerrero and Jimenez. It, it's they not make an a issue with, of contact.
1: I I do, and it's something that I said with I think it was with Moncada couple of years ago i do still get a little bit of concern when a guy's played 61 games in double a 30 games in triple a and that's the closest he's got to major league competition that's, but also
2: in both of those cases too, Moncada and buxton you saw them kind of peak at high a right and then the numbers kind of drifted after that i mean vladimir Guerrero was basically ted williams in the minors last year it was he was ted williams in double A. I. I you know, I don't. I don't want to be prisoner of the up. moment, but I just right. three thirty six. I don't recall ever seeing a bat that was closer to can't miss than Guerrero's. He, I, I wouldn't draft him in the second round because I'm just super risk averse in the early rounds. But I, I totally understand the people who do.
0: All right, let's move on. We talked about guys that we expect to make their major league debut. If not. Right on opening day, shortly after. Uh, let's talk about guys that are fighting for a job in the spring. Um, and this does include Vladimir Guerrero and Eloy Jimenez. I don't think we need to make uh, a lot more discussion about them. We know how Scott feels about them. Best prospects ever. I love them. Um, so of this list of guys fighting in spring, it's, it's a list of about 20 guys. We're not going to go through all of them. Scott, just go through and tell me who you think has the best chance of being up, if not on opening day, within the first couple of weeks.
2: Should I mention their names when I'm yes. passing Flagler by? Yes, Vlad Guerrero, Eloy just... Jimenez,
0: let's start there. Those guys. Okay. We they're expect them up before the end of m- April. Mid-April. They'll they're, be on, they're on
2: the Ronald Acuna timeline. Yeah. They'll be
0: drafted in the first ten rounds of every single draft this year.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Nick Senzel's next. I don't really know about him. Mm-hmm. Kyle Tucker, same thing. Don't really know the timetable there. Alex Reyes, I would expect him to be up sooner than not. Though, it would, I think it would behoove the Cardinals to hold him out longer so that they have his best, the more critical point in the season. But that's just not what teams typically do. So And would, there's
0: no with him, there's no contract shenanigans that make any sense. He's yeah. been on the 40-man roster for three years. His service clock has already started.
2: So I would, I would draft Reyes expecting to see him at some point in April. Brent Honeywell, I imagine the Rays will be extra cautious with them coming off Tommy John's surgery. Uh, Jesus Lazardo of the Athletics. He might be their best pitcher right now. Oh, I think so.
0: Yeah. And the only, actually, the only question is another guy later on this list, the, I think. The,
1: um, the thing with Lizardo, if just might be instructive. Sean Maniah, I think, who had very little AAA experience, they called up at the end of April. So they, he may not be up that soon. But yeah. I think it's at least possible, and they have. There's been some things that have come out of Oakland that have made it sound like he could actually compete for a job in this oh, rotation. I, he I think yeah. he is. Yeah, he, he could. But they could go with a four-man rotation for the first few weeks too.
2: Well, I mean, and it, it's one of those things. Oh, he's competing for a job, and he may be their best pitcher in the spring. But they still decide. I mean, he's he he moved so quickly last year, and he's 21. I want to say like there's no. Yeah, I I can't draft Luzardo with an expectation in mind for when we're going to see him. Though, it you know, it could be April. We don't know. I do have Luzardo ranked out of Alex Reyes.
0: Whew. What about AJ Puck? Since we're on yeah. the, the topic of the athletics, another guy coming off Tommy John surgery. Well, he had it a little later than Brent Honeywell, right? Honeywell was in, like, February. Yes.
2: So he's, and I don't, I you know... Yeah, I, I think that's going to hold him back some in spring training. But he's a good example for what could happen with Luzardo because he was competing for a rotation spot last spring, was doing great. But the consensus among the beat writers, even before he suffered the elbow injury, was, yeah, but he's not really going to make it. Uh, it's just, you know, they, they have to dangle the carrot in front of their top prospects to uh, to ensure they get their best out of them, I think is part of what plays into that. And, and just, you know, the potential that other guys get injured uh before spring is over and and suddenly there's an opening they didn't expect i i think that has a lot to do with the he's competing for a spot talk when it, it may not be so realistic
0: the a's are one of those teams that may not have the luxury of waiting a couple weeks though given how bad their rotation is and how what a fringy playoff team so it's worth i think there's a, a decent chance i wouldn't say it's 50 50 but yeah there's a chance uh Peter Alonzo at yeah, this Yeah, I know you
2: guys have soured on Alonzo's chances. I, I just don't... I don't see how how they could hold him back more. Like, particularly since they have designs the on competing. He's, at worst, their third best hitter if they put him in the lineup today behind Conforto and Nimo. Am I forgetting somebody?
1: Well, we don't... like.
2: Like, he's, he's age-wise, progression through the minors-wise, he's absolutely ready. You could have made the case he was ready at the end of last year, but okay. They wanted to play the financial game, hold him out till mid-April. Uh, I, I still, I expect to see him then. Um, you know, I'm, I don't have him in my top 300, so maybe I'm not totally drafting him like I expect it. But deep down, I think we're going to see him before the end of April. Yeah, I'm not
1: drafting him period. Like I don't think he should be drafted.
2: You don't think he should be drafted among
0: the top 276 players? No. Plus eight six reserve rounds?
1: In reserve rounds of a roto draft, sure. Okay. But outside of the top outside of the top 276, and so definitely outside of the top 252, and he I mean he played he had 300 plate appearances in AAA last year, struck out a lot, but he's got a ton of power. But he might he might be a 30 35% strikeout guy this year.
2: He, he might be. He might be. He might be. But like I was saying before, We had those concerns about Chris Bryant, George Springer. It does often get overcome, too.
0: I will say I'm a little bit concerned. I usually don't worry too much about hitting coaches, but given the last two years where Chili Davis has gone to the Red Sox and Cubs and seen a bunch of their best hitters just fall apart in his hands, uh, I'm a little concerned about the Mets this year with him uh, because his approach is not... Uh, very 2019 friendly is how I would put
2: it. It's not a, it's not a maximized power approach, right? It's more of a yeah hit the hit the ball to all fields kind of thing.
0: Yeah, and I think that could be a good explanation for why Chris Bryant hasn't been the guy we quite hoped for the last couple of seasons, along with the shoulder injury. Um,
2: Francisco Mejia, I lock. expect him to be up. Yeah. yeah, I expect him to be on the opening day roster. Uh, what's going to be interesting for him is how much of a timeshare he. He gets behind the plate because, obviously, Austin Hedges' defensive standout, Mejia has his shortcomings there. I, I think it'll be about 50-50 to start out, and I expect Mejia to take a bigger share as the season goes on. Uh, that's why I rank Mejia as a top-ten catcher. Uh, Mike Soraka for the Braves. I mean, they probably have more than two rotations worth of arms competing for, for jobs. Uh, so I don't think you can count on him being up, but I do think he is one of the more likely of them, along with Tuki Toussaint and uh, who gets a know, sh- he'll probably be the two most. Likely. Who gets a shot first, Soroka or Luis Gahara? Soroka, why do I call him Soraka? Um Soroka, if he's healthy, yeah. The- Gohara has a lot of trust to win back after a season where I mean he put on a lot of weight and his stuff was compromised. You know, He had some off-the-field issues, but yeah, he needs to win back the faith of the organization, I think.
0: Who is more likely to make their opening day starting lineup?
2: Alex Verdugo or Tyler O'Neill? When I say off-the-field issues for Gohar, I mean family tragedy issues, not like he was getting in legal trouble or anything, sure. just to clarify. Okay, so what were you asking? Who
0: is more likely to make the opening day l- lineup? Not the opening day roster. Tyler O'Neill for the Cardinals or Alex Verdugo yeah. for the Dodgers? Verdugo, you have 38th. Uh, Tyler O'Neal, 58th. In I, I
2: think it's O'Neill because he just has to beat out Dexter Fowler, who basically lost his job last year. Well, you know what? He doesn't just have to beat him out because there's also Jose Martinez. He was the one taking... At bats from Fowler. Yeah, I think it's Verdugo. Just trade
1: yeah. Jose
0: Martinez to the Rays.
1: I, I or don't think. Uh, the Yankees. I think Tyler O'Neal could be really good. I love, I, his,
2: I love his fantasy prospects.
1: I expect that Dexter Fowler has to be terrible for another month before he's actually lost a job.
2: One of my favorite stats, I can't remember if I was doing it for 160 games or 162, but basically I was projecting out O'Neal's pace for a, what a full season, roughly. It would have been his minor league stats projected projected to sixty five home runs over a full uh, yeah, season. Yeah, he was he was stupid in AAA last year. It was his major league stats projected to three hundred three strikeouts. I'm not sure which of those is more impressive: the sixty five homers or the three hundred three strikeouts. Yeah, he
0: struck out fifty seven times in one hundred forty two plate appearances. That's an awful lot. But I yeah. I still I love the power speed combo uh, potential there. So if he gets a chance, I'll be excited. But Dugo, we expect, has a better chance.
2: Yeah, I mean, he could be a Nick Marcakis-type hitter, but we do also see the that profile, the really good bat skills, not much power, suddenly find power in the majors. So I, I, think, I think there's a chance he could catch fantasy owners by surprise.
0: All right, this next guy, uh, we've got an email from Jeff in Cedar Rapids. Hearing a lot of buzz about Josh James being a strong breakout candidate. Haven't heard you guys discuss him much at all. Is he a good sleeper? Is it too much of a reach for a guy playing in a 10-team categories league like me?
2: I think Josh James is awesome. I know he's the last on this list, but he's in my sleepers column. I think he might be one of the safest bets of this group to have an opening day job because the Astros have basically three rotation openings from last year uh, with Keichel and Morton leaving and, and Lance McCullers going on the DL. Josh James, he's 26 years old, so they need to if they want to get something out of him, it's now or never. He gained 10 miles per hour on his fastball last year.
1: Well, and he started throwing strikes. He had walk problems in the minor leagues, and all of a sudden he gets to the majors and doesn't walk anybody. I don't understand that. Well, jo-
0: Josh James was let's give the numbers. He was stupid good yeah. last year. 2.49 ERA and, f- and six appearances at Double A, 3.40 ERA and 17 at Triple A, but that came with. Almost thirteen strikeouts per nine innings, uh, strikeout percentage of thirty-five percent. Gets to the majors, thirty-two percent strikeout rate, four to one walk to strike or strikeout to walk ratio, and a two forty or two thirty-five ERA. Yeah, two forty three-
1: was the bad
2: bit. Yeah, I, I don't know if the if the control he showed in the majors is something you could expect, but I think the stuff is good enough that it it doesn't, you know, he doesn't have to be a control pitcher. Uh, his swinging strike rate on his fastball was ridiculous. On the changeup was ridiculous. On the slider was still pretty good. So you're talking about three swing and miss pitches, a hundred mile per hour fastball. Uh, obviously going to have a great offense backing him, and he's at an age, like I said, 26, where I, I don't I don't think the Astros have much reason to preserve his arm for the long term. I think they they have every incentive to just go. You know, work him as much as he's able to. Uh, so I think, yeah, I I I'd, I'd be excited about his prospects this year. Although there's obviously unproven and downside and all that. But I mean, worth there, there's a reason why he took a huge statistical step forward. His stuff became uh, reached a different level.
0: But there should be he should be drafted in every league.
2: Uh, maybe ten, not shallower ten roto team, leagues, but yeah, I I would say every league,
0: even in eighteen league.
1: 10-team or deep? <laughs> not a four-team league, Keith, Come on. No four, six, or eight-team leagues unless it's an eight-team league with deep benches.
0: All right. Let's run through a last handful of guys. Just tell me who of these would be drafted if your draft goes 350 spots, let's say.
2: Uh, Justice Sheffield. Uh, probably not. I lowball Sheffield in my prospect rankings because I think his future's in relief. No. Uh Luis Gahara, Sean Reed Foley,
0: Framber Valdez.
2: Uh Reed Foley and Valdez, potentially, yes. Both technically have to win jobs. Um Reed Foley may actually be on the outside looking in, which is unfortunate because he had two ten strikeout efforts last September with the big club. So there's there's definitely strikeout potential there. Valdez Valdez is
1: Probably in the starting rotation, right?
2: Probably. And I was writing him off. Valdez for the Astros. Yeah, I was writing him off when he was pitching for them at the end of last season, mostly because I wanted to see Josh James pitch. But (laughs) he is an elite ground ball, like Dallas Keuchel-level ground ball generator, uh, thanks to a sinker-curveball combo. I'm worried he's not going to throw enough strikes. I'm worried he may not miss enough bats, though he... Did a pretty good job of that in the minors, uh, but yeah, that elite ground ball profile is always always has the potential to uh, to catch everybody by surprise in fantasy. I, I think he's probably draftable in 350 or deeper. All right, and uh, let's just talk about some stash
0: candidates. Forrest Whitley, are you stashing?
2: Yes. Yeah, he's the top pitching prospect to stash.
0: Uh, Alex Kirillov. Took a big step forward. Got last too many year. bodies now.
2: It'd have to be an AL only league. I, I think there's a chance he's up this summer because he was so good last year and I could see him moving quickly. But um, but yeah, it would, it would be fast.
0: Who do we see first? Brendan Rogers shortstop for the Rockies, Bo Bichette, shortstop for the Blue Jays.
2: Rogers. I think so though. It's it's, it's a 60, lot of 40. bodies there too. 60-40. Uh, who do we see first?
0: Dylan Cease for the White Sox, Ian Anderson for the Braves, or Mitch Keller for the Pirates. Or let's throw in Tristan from the, McKenzie from the Indians.
2: I think it, I, I'm not sure we're going to see all four of them this year. Um, I'm going to give uh, Mitch Keller the leg up there. All right. Sure. All right. That's it. That's the prospects.
0: That's the podcast. I'll see you next week.